0: Hi, my name is Jeff Redding. I am a preaching elder here at Walton Community Church in Monroe, Georgia. Before we begin the sermon, our church would like to invite you to join us as we gather every Sunday morning for worship at 10 a.m. You can learn more about our church on our website at waltoncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening. Thank you, George. Appreciate you, brother. Um, before we get into the sermon, um, I'm just going to share my heart a little bit, and I just plan on doing this just pretty much right now. So uh, it's good, but if you're new, you may not have seen me get emotional, and I probably will. Um, But I've just been thinking, just in the past, the reason I'm sharing is because in the past uh, few weeks, I have just been, I feel like I have been under just spiritual attack, to be honest. And I have not uh, had that really happen much in my life, but... um, it just almost feels like the the enemy is coming after me and I'll have times when I'll feel great and then all of a sudden I've been sharing with some friends and then all of a sudden it'll just be like this darkness on me and I'll feel sad and anxious and, uh, and stressed out and mad and all that and then it'll kind of go away and um, so I, I don't know if that's spiritual warfare, it kind of feels like it. I don't know if that's what it feels like but that's what it feels like to me. And so, one, I want to say to you, thank you for praying for me. Um, two, uh, if, you're, if you've just gone, we've just, our random things have just happened to our family. We had a lightning strike tore up some of our house. We, one of our car was totaled in an accident. Just random things that have never happened. All these things are kind of happening. And so I, I may just be putting this together in the wrong way, but I also see God blessing this church in a huge way. Um, I was thinking about the fact that uh, when we started, you could put four and a half years ago, you could put all the adults in our church on the front row here. They would all fit on the very front row. And you know what? I thought when we started, we would be a microscopic church for years and years. And I was totally fine with that. And to be honest, I don't I did not want the church to grow and I start thinking about adding chairs and all this stuff. I just, I'm not telling y'all to leave, okay? I'm not telling anybody to leave. (laughs) I'm just saying, I'm not big on, like, massive growth and programs and trying to get people. I'm just not big on that. I want to be faithful. I want us to be faithful. I told the Sunday school class just a while ago, I'm also just not crazy about being in authority. I'm just not. Um, So, but I was thinking about our our reading this morning from, uh, from Isaiah. It's like, I don't really care about having a growing big church or anything. But then I'm reading Isaiah, and it says, God says, my counsel will stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. It's almost like I feel God saying, I don't really care what you want, Jeff. I'm going to do what I want to do, you know? So um, anyway, I just want to just share that with you. I appreciate you, your prayers. Um, and if you have been just going through some rough stuff, I was thinking about Isaiah 53, I mean Isaiah 43. Just if you've been going through some rough stuff over the past, I don't know how long, just sometimes I just, and it's so stupid, but sometimes I just feel like I'm just worthless. Like I just have just nothing to give. I just love you, love you man. And uh, if you if you ever feel that way, this is Isaiah forty three. And I want my my prayer is that you will hear God speak to you. Listen, it says, "Now this thus says the Lord." He who created you, it's, it's talking to Jacob and Israel, but it applies to us individually too. He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. Listen to this. I have called you by name. You are mine. You're mine. You belong to me. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. He doesn't say he'll, he'll keep all the bad stuff away from us, right? But he says, I'll be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Amen. And that's my prayer that if anybody's going through a terrible time, you'll just hear God speak to you right there. All right. Thank you for allowing me to share my heart. I'm, I love you guys. I, I, and, and I'm thankful, too, not just that, that people are coming, but y'all are coming. I already feel like. So many of you are family and, and love us, even if I haven't even known you very very long. And it's just God has just been so so gracious. So uh, so thank you. All right, let's let me see if I can get myself together and let's let's go to the sermon. Um, we're continuing a sermon series on Christianity and the culture. And so I keep saying this, and this is part of this too, right? Like just feeling this way in our culture, but I, I want us to be faithful, and I want us to understand the culture better than the culture understands itself. And, and something I want, want to say is that we don't really need to be experts in everything that's going on around us all the time, right? I, we, I don't need to know every trend on TikTok or whatever, really, to, to, to know how to be faithful. I think really the keys is, some of the keys are for, for us to really know the deep truths of the faith, to really understand the deep truths of about who our God is and how he saves his people. As I think if we understand that, then we can stand against the lies of the culture. George mentioned that in in his uh, remarks about how we can stand against the lies of the culture by having God's truth in us. So last week we talked about freedom, we're going to continue to think about freedom today. So the title of the sermon today is true freedom into Christ's kingdom. True freedom into Christ's kingdom. And and I mentioned this last week that our culture teaches that our meaning and our dignity comes through freedom, through freedom to make choices, freedom to do what I want to do. Um, Also, I think this is important our culture is constantly saying that the God of the Bible is bad because he's opposed to our freedom. Because in our culture, being a Christian does not sound like freedom, it sounds like bondage, it sounds like slavery. Our culture constantly says that if you want real freedom, here's what you do you free yourself from the chains of religion. Our culture constantly says you can have freedom, real freedom, if you get rid of God. Um, You can be free if you abandon the church. That's what our culture is constantly saying that Christianity is oppressive. Break free of it and you'll have real freedom. This is a message our young people are hearing a lot. But, young people, I hope you'll listen to me. That is a massive lie. It is the biggest lie. If someone says you can have freedom if you get rid of God, that's the biggest lie. Because here's the truth. The people saying that, they're the ones who are deceived and they're the ones who are enslaved. They're enslaved. They're the ones who actually need freedom. Because defiance against God, all that does is lead you down a path toward the destruction of your soul. And that's not freedom. Rebellion against God is not freedom. It's depressing and it's soul-destroying. Because, and this is what we looked at last week, true freedom means being free from something bad and being free to something good. So I want us to think more about that today. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Exodus chapter 1. What we're going to do is we're going to look at the book of Exodus. And really, I just, I want us to to walk through it. We're going to walk through it quickly. I actually preached a whole sermon series on Exodus. and I love it. But uh, we're going to walk through Exodus 1. The, or Exodus, the book of Exodus, and the reason we're going to do that is because when we look at the Exodus account, I think it's the best Old Testament historical account of how God sets us free. I think it's a wonderful picture of how God sets us free spiritually, by how God frees his people from spiritual slavery, how he frees his people from darkness. So in Exodus, in case you don't know the story, the people of Israel, they are in bondage. They're enslaved in Egypt. They're slaves. And so let's look at Exodus 1. Let's start in verse 13. Exodus 1, verse 13. All right, it says, So they, this is the, the Egyptians, they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made the Israelites work as slaves. So these Israelites in Egypt, they're, they're slaves. And Pharaoh and the Egyptians are making their work as hard as possible. So the Israelites are in bondage. They're not free. And this is the same thing. What I want you to see is this is the same thing that Satan does to people in his domain, right? In, in spiritual slavery. In his kingdom of darkness. So Egypt is a picture of the devil's spiritual kingdom of darkness and what the people of Israel do is they cry out to God and that would be my encouragement to you if you know that you're not in the kingdom of Christ if you know that you're in the kingdom of darkness cry out to the Lord cry out to the Lord and that's what they do if you go to Exodus chapter 2 flip over to Exodus 2 verse 23 Exodus 2 verse 23 near the end It says, during those many days, the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. They cried out to God for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. God heard their cries. Verse 24, God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. So the people cry out to God, and God hears them. And that's what I would say to you. If you know you're in this spiritual place of darkness, cry out to the Lord. He'll hear you. Let's go to Exodus chapter 3. Go to Exodus 3, and let's look at verse 7. Exodus 3, verse 7. Then the Lord said, I've surely seen the affliction of my people. Notice that. I've surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, God said. He says, I know your sufferings. And I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So remember, Egypt is a a picture of spiritual slavery, spiritual bondage. And the thing is, all of us, when we're born, we're born into this. We're not born in the promised land. All of us are born in Egypt. We're born in spiritual bondage, in spiritual slavery. We're born in spiritual Egypt. So this is a picture of us before we were freed by God. Okay, So Egypt is a picture of, of darkness. And Satan is the prince of darkness. And Egypt is a picture of this domain of darkness. In Colossians 1.13, it says this, that God has transferred us from the domain of darkness and he's transferred us into the kingdom of of his beloved son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what God does for us. So God is the one who frees us out of the domain of darkness and God frees us into the kingdom of Jesus. But don't think that because you're born in a Christian family that you're born in the kingdom of Jesus. You're not. We're naturally born sinners. We're born in the kingdom of darkness. And you need to trust in Jesus to bring you out of that into his kingdom. All right, Exodus 3, look at verse 19. Go down to verse 19 of Exodus 3. God is speaking to Moses. God is speaking to Moses, and he says this, verse 19. But I know, I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So God says, so I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. So in the same way, the prince of darkness does not allow his slaves to go free unless God strikes with a mighty hand, unless God gives a, the, delivers the knockout blow against Satan. That's the only way people can be set free from the darkness, from the kingdom of darkness, if God strikes with a mighty hand. All right, let's go all the way to, we're going to go forward a number of chapters to Exodus chapter 11. We're going to skip a bunch of chapters, and what we're skipping over is all these plagues that come on Egypt. If you've ever read Exodus, you know that God strikes Egypt with all these plagues. He turns the Nile into blood. He sends all these nasty frogs, and they get in everywhere. Uh, he sends these gnats and flies. Uh, livestock are killed. There's boils, hail, locusts, and then darkness. Okay? So God sends all these plagues... And yet still, Pharaoh will not allow the Israelites to go free. They're still in bondage. They're still in slavery. So let's look at, at Exodus chapter 11. And what this is, this is the final judgment that God brings on Egypt. And it's the death of the firstborn. And God says, this is how Pharaoh is going to let you go when he brings this, this judgment, the death of the firstborn. So this is Exodus 11, beginning of verse 4. So God has already spoken to Moses, and now Moses is speaking to Pharaoh. Verse 4. So Moses said to Pharaoh, he said, Thus says the Lord, about midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle, there shall be... A great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been, nor will there ever be again. So God is saying, at midnight, the angel of death, which is actually God Himself, the angel of death, the destroyer, God Himself, is going to go into every house, and He's going to kill the firstborn in that house. Now, what is this a picture of? It's a picture of this: that the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. And this, and God is saying, this is how I'm going to free my people. I'm going to deliver this knockout punch against Pharaoh, against Satan, against the kingdom of darkness, and I'm bringing judgment on the firstborn. Now, why the firstborn? Well, the firstborn is significant because in those days, the firstborn is the one who received all the inheritance. So really, when God says he's going to kill the firstborn, it was a sign that the entire family was being struck by the judgment of God. God wasn't just randomly picking out one person. It was a sign of judgment on the the firstborn, the one who inherited everything. It was a sign of judgment on the entire family. Actually, it was a sign of judgment on the entire nation because even Pharaoh's son is killed. And Pharaoh is considered to be a god. And so Yahweh now is killing a god. That's That's what God is doing in this whole picture in Egypt. So that's what God is saying. When he comes in to kill the firstborn in each family... God is saying he's going to set his people free and he's going to free them by using his judgment. So it's freedom through God's judgment. So imagine you're there at the time and you hear this warning. You're an Israelite, right? You you hear this warning that God is going to, that God is going to kill the firstborn in every house. This is the way that you should think. You should look at yourself and your family and you should think the wages of sin is death. I look at myself. I look at my family. I'm a sinner. We're all sinners in this family. So death is coming to my house. And you know what? We deserve it. We deserve it. Death is coming to my house. Unless God does something. Well, it turns out God does do something. He provides a substitute. God is going to provide a substitute for his people. Now, again, remember we're thinking about freedom. We're thinking about how God sets his people free. This is a, Egypt is a spiritual picture. The Exodus is a, is a picture of the spiritual realities. So we're thinking about how God sets his people free from condemnation. Because we're all sinners. We all deserve judgment. We all deserve the destroyer coming in our house. Because the wages of sin is death. And remember, true freedom is freedom from judgment. And freedom to God himself. Freedom from. From slavery and freedom to salvation. Freedom from the kingdom of darkness and freedom to Jesus Christ's kingdom of light. And God brings his people out of slavery. God frees his people by providing a substitute. And that's what we see in the Passover lamb. So let's go to Exodus chapter 12. Exodus 12, we're told about the Passover and about the Passover lamb. Look at Exodus 12, beginning in verse 3. It says, tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. Go on to verse 5. It says, now think about the language here. Your lamb shall be without blemish. Your lamb shall be without blemish. A male, a year old, you may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. So here's the picture. The family was to take a lamb. They were to take an innocent lamb. A lamb without blemish. A lamb without spot. And do you recognize the language? They were to take a lamb, and this is what the priest did. They would, The priest would lay his hands on the lamb. Daniel's been preaching about this in Leviticus. They would take the... the They would take the lamb and they'd place their hands on the head of the lamb. And the symbolism was this, that the wages of sin is death, right? So by placing my hands on the lamb, the sins of the family were symbolically transferred to the little lamb. The lamb had done nothing wrong. The lamb is innocent. The lamb is without blemish. But the sins of the people were symbolically transferred away from me and my family and transferred to the lamb and then what did they do with the lamb they killed the lamb they slit its throat they killed it they t- this innocent lamb and then they took the blood and they put the blood in a bowl or a basin now again think about the language the innocent lamb when john the baptist saw jesus at his baptism you know what john said about jesus he looked at him and he said behold The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's Jesus. Jesus is the Lamb. Jesus is the Passover Lamb. All right, back to Passover. Now, here's the thing, all right? These little lambs in Israel, they couldn't actually take away sin. As I said, Daniel's been preaching about this, about sacrificial animals in Leviticus. But those sacrificial animals... Beginning there and throughout all the sacrificial system of Israel, those millions of bulls and goats and lambs, all those animals slaughtered, they could not take away sin. The book of Hebrews says the blood of bulls and goats can't take away sin. So what these sacrificial animals are doing, what that Passover lamb is doing, is they're pointing forward to one who could take away sin. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, so back in Exodus 12, after you killed the Passover lamb, what were you commanded to do? If you look down at Exodus 12, verse 7, it says, Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. So you take the blood from this Passover lamb, and what, we'll see, what you see later is they take this hyssop, this herb branch, and they dip it in the basin or the bowl. And then they put the blood on the two doorposts of the house and then over the top, the lintel. So they put it around the door of, of the house. Okay, So they're marking their house with the blood of the lamb. Now again, think about the language. They put this blood over the door to show that they're covered by the blood of the Passover lamb. They're covered by the blood of the lamb. Exodus twelve, if you go to Exodus twelve twelve, uh actually at the end of verse eleven right before twelve, it says it is the Lord's Passover, and this is where we learn this is where we learn what the word Passover means. Exodus twelve twelve, God says this, He says, For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. So God says, I'm the Lord, and I'm bringing judgment on the gods of Egypt. And in other places in the Bible, it talks about these gods in Egypt. They're not really gods. You know what they are? They're demons. They're demons. So again, God is showing that Egypt is a picture of the kingdom of darkness. So God's saying, I'm going to execute judgment on the gods of Egypt, the demons of Egypt. I'm dropping the hammer on these demons. And then he says, I'm the Lord. Okay, in Exodus 12, verse 13... It says, the blood shall be a sign for you. This is where we get the word Passover. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, God says, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. That's good news, right? That is good news. So God is talking to the Israelites and he said, see, listen, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will touch you. Judgment won't come on you. He says, I'm going to pass through. I'm bringing judgment. I'm bringing death to every house. Because the wages of sin is death. He says, I'm bringing judgment. But if I see the blood of the lamb on the door, then I'm going to pass over that house. So, what we see here is that the way you're saved is through the sacrifice of the lamb. The lamb is the substitute. Because when the lamb has been killed as a substitute for that family, that means all the sins of that family have been symbolically placed on the lamb. And the lamb has died as a substitute. The lamb has died in the place of the that family, in the place of the people. And so God is saying, when I see that blood on the doorposts, on the doorframe, I'm going to pass over, I'm not going to bring judgment, because the lamb has already received it in itself. The judgment that should have come to that family. The lamb has already taken it. And, and this is what Jesus has done for us. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. This is the good news. This is how we are freed. We're talking about freedom. How we get freedom from God's just judgment. How we're freed from condemnation. How we're freed from slavery in spiritual Egypt. We're freed from slavery to the kingdom of darkness. And it's all because of Jesus It's all because of Jesus' substitutionary death. The perfect Lamb of God who died in our place. I said this last week. When Jesus gets us, he doesn't get a lot, really. (laughs) He doesn't gain much. And yet he died for us, his people, because he loves us. He took our sins upon himself. He died in our place on the cross. He's our substitute death fell on him. Judgment. Judgment fell on him. So it didn't fall on us. In fact, our reading today was, was, uh, the assurance of pardon was from Isaiah 53, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities upon him was the chastisement, the judgment that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. And it says that throughout Isaiah 53, a beautiful, beautiful picture Okay, so this is what Jesus has done for us. And so now, if you put your faith in Jesus, when God sees you, he doesn't see your sin. Think about the joy of that. When God sees you, if you've put your faith in Jesus, he doesn't see your sin. Because he sees your life covered by the blood of the Lamb. And he passes over you on the day of judgment. That means there's no more condemnation, there's no more wrath remaining. This is the gospel of freedom. And as I say, we see this in Exodus in the Passover. All right, Exodus twelve, verse twenty-nine, we get the actual judgment. So let's read Exodus twelve, twenty-nine to thirty-two. It says At midnight the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who is in the dungeon. And all the firstborn of the livestock, God struck them down. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Every single house had someone dead in it. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up, go out from among my people both you and the people of Israel, and go, serve the Lord as you have said, take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone, and bless me also. So finally, before this, Pharaoh has been negotiating and demanding and all that, and finally he just says, get out of here. He's been enslaving the Israelites. Earlier in history, Pharaoh was killing little baby Hebrew boys. So Pharaoh is a picture of Satan. He's a picture of the one who enslaves us. But now, God has hit Pharaoh with a death blow, and Pharaoh's had enough. He can't take it. So God has brought judgment on the land of Egypt. And now, as I said, Pharaoh says to Moses and Aaron, get out of here, you and your people, go serve the Lord as you want to do. So this is what it took for God to redeem the people of Israel and get them out of slavery. This is what it took for God to free the Israelites out of bondage. Now, I'm not going to go through it in detail, but the next passage here in Exodus is a perfect picture of the way Satan acts in our lives. Listen, after you're saved, after God frees you from the domain of darkness, does Satan then just leave you alone? Does he just just leave you alone forever? No, he doesn't. He comes after you. And that's what Pharaoh does here. He changes his mind. And Pharaoh sends his troops after the people of Israel. He sends his armies to go after the Israelites because Pharaoh wants to enslave them again. And this is what Satan does to us as well. But God isn't having it. God will protect his people. In Exodus 14, look at Exodus 14, verse 10. Exodus 14, God brings the people of Israel through the Red Sea. God does this miracle by allowing the people of Israel to go across dry ground through the Red Sea. Look at Exodus 14, uh, verse 10. Read 10 to 12. When Pharaoh drew near... The people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them. So they look up, and here come the Egyptians coming after them. And they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. And this is where they start complaining again. They don't trust. They're they're not righteous people. That's another thing we want to see. God doesn't save righteous people. (laughs) He doesn't save good people. These are complainers, just like we are. Verse 11, they said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Now listen, leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. (laughs) They were crying out because they were in slavery. God rescues them and then they say, didn't we say just leave us alone so that we can be enslaved to the Egyptians? They said, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. So the people of Israel are constantly complaining and don't we do the same thing? I do the same thing. As good as God is to me, I complain, and I'm ashamed of it. Even after God has proved to us time and time again that He's faithful, that He loves us, that He's going to take care of us, even after He's freed us, don't we doubt and complain? But it's the next part I love. Look at listen to Moses. This is Exodus 14 verse 13. I love this. And Moses said to the people, "Fear not, stand firm. And see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians who you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. Moses tells them, fear not, stand firm, and watch God save you. In other words, to be saved, what what must they do? What are they required to do? Nothing. Nothing. He says, see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For you to be saved, there's no work to do. You know what you need to do? Just stand there. Just stand there and watch God do the work. Our New City Catechism question. I'm so glad Greg read it. It said, should those who have faith in Christ seek their salvation through their own works or anywhere else? Answer, no. Everything necessary to salvation is found in Christ. Jesus is the Lamb of God. Jesus has already done everything to save us. God has already saved us. We don't work to be saved. That's what God tells the people of Israel here. God says, you see those Egyptians coming after you? See those enemies? They're coming after you. They're powerful, the most powerful nation on earth. You see them? Guess what? You're never going to see them again. And they don't. They're done. He wipes them out. And then he says in verse 14, again, Moses says, the Lord will fight for you, and you have only... To be silent in other words just shut up just shut up and watch God work just shut your mouth and watch God save you they're complaining and griping and he says just shut your mouth and watch God save you watch him bring salvation and that's exactly what he does God brings the water over these Egyptian soldiers God brings judgment and death on these enemies These powerful enemies who wanted to crush God's people. God brings freedom to his people by bringing judgment on his enemies and he destroys them. Now let me stress something. If you're in spiritual Egypt, if you're enslaved to sin, you haven't been saved by God. Let me issue a solemn warning to you. That judgment, just like judgment came on Egypt, judgment is coming on spiritual Egypt. Just like the Lord brought judgment on ancient Egypt thousands of years ago, judgment is coming on spiritual Egypt, which is this world, those in rebellion against God. And the judgment that God is going to bring when Christ returns, that judgment is infinitely worse than what he brought on ancient Egypt. The judgment that Christ is going to bring to this world, to spiritual Egypt, is certain. Don't think you're going to avoid it. To those in rebellion against him, that judgment is going to be total and complete. There's no escaping it. There's no escaping it with one exception, Jesus Christ, the true Passover lamb. If you realize you're in spiritual Egypt, if you realize you're in darkness, you're in the domain of darkness, you're under the authority of the prince of darkness, if you realize that, do what the people of Israel did. Cry out to the Lord. Put your trust in the true Passover lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ, who laid down his life for his people. If you give yourself completely to Jesus, trusting in his substitutionary death and in his resurrection, then God's coming judgment will pass over you, just like what happened in Egypt. And you will know God's love. That's all you'll know. And His forgiveness. All you'll know is eternal life. And your Savior will never leave you. Our memory verse this month is John eleven twenty five 25, and 26, where Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. This is an amazing promise that the Lamb of God gives to his people. And it's guaranteed. It's guaranteed. Because of Jesus, though I die, yet shall I live. And there's a sense in which I'll never die. Because my soul will always be safe with Jesus Christ. So cry out to the Lord now. All right, back to Exodus. God has saved his people out of ancient Egypt. He's destroyed the Egyptian army by drowning them in the Red Sea. Now, here's the beautiful part to me, and this is so important. I'm going to wrap up with this. If you'll flip forward to Exodus chapter 20. As you're turning at this point, the people are in the wilderness. So God has already saved them, right? He's defeated Pharaoh. He's brought freedom to his people. God has saved his people out of the kingdom of darkness. Just like when he brings us out of darkness, when Christ saves us. Now these Israelites are in the wilderness at this time. They're not in the promised land. They're in the wilderness. But they're under the protection of God. He leads them by a pillar of cloud by day and by a pillar of fire by night. So they're in God's kingdom. They're under the kingship of God, but they're in the wilderness. And yet God is bringing them to the promised land eventually. It's the same for us. We've been, that's where we are. We're in the wilderness right now. God has rescued us. We're headed to the promised land. We're heading to the heavenly promised land, but we're not there yet. We're in the wilderness, but we're safe with God. We're safe with Christ who will always be with us. Okay, It's the same with these, these Israelites because he's already rescued. Now, God is about to give them the law. That's what happens in Exodus 20. He gives them the law, the Ten Commandments. But now think about this. Were the Israelites saved out of Egypt by being obedient to the law? Is that how God saved them out of Egypt? Did did God save the people of Israel after giving them the law and then watching them, and then they're obedient, and then he saved them? Is that how it happened? No. When they were saved, they didn't even have the law yet. As I said, God doesn't give the law until here in Exodus 20, and that's when he gives them the Ten Commandments. So God saves them, and now he gives them the law. And the Ten Commandments actually begin in verse 3. First commandment is, you shall have no other gods before me. But again, notice this, that even before God gives them the Ten Commandments, before he gives them the law, look at how God identifies himself. This is Exodus 20, verses 1 and 2. Let's look at it. This is so important and so beautiful. And my prayer is that everyone in here will hear our loving and gracious God speak to you. Look at Exodus 20, verses 1 and 2. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. God says, I'm the Lord, but he doesn't stop there. He says, I'm the Lord, your God. I'm your God, not someone else's God. I'm your God. Also, I have already brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. In other words, I already saved you. I've already freed you. I'm your God. You're my people. And you didn't become my people by obeying the law. Again, how do we know that? Because he's given them the law here. It's only here that he gives them the law. He says, I've already saved you. You belong to me. You are mine. Now here's my law. So I hope you see the implications of this. Because a lot of people think that in the Old Testament, people were saved by works. And in the New Testament, it's grace. No, it's all grace. It's all God's grace from beginning to end. We're not saved by being obedient to the law. God saves us and only then does he give us the law. We're to obey the Lord to show that we really love him and trust him. In other words, we don't obey God's law in order to be saved. We obey God's law because we are saved. We don't obey God's law so that we can become his children. We want to obey God's law because we are His children. We don't obey God's word so that He will love us. Don't think that. We obey God's word because He already loves us. He's our father, our dad, who loves His kids. And because we're His kids, He wants us to live lives that please Him, please our dad. Our dad, who's crazy about us. Okay? God saved His people in the Old Testament by grace. And he saves his people today by grace. And that's God's call to you today. To receive his grace. To receive his love. Don't think you have to do some big work before coming to the Lord. Remember what Moses said. Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. The Lord will fight for you. You only have to be silent. He will fight for you. Just trust in him and be silent. Let him do the work of saving you. Just give yourself completely to him. Turn over the controls of your life to Jesus Christ. You don't have to get yourself cleaned up before coming to Jesus. Don't think you have to get it all together before coming to Jesus. Just come to him in faith. Put your trust in the Lamb of God who died on the cross as a substitute in the place of his people. And he will receive you. You come to him and he will receive you. Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, has laid down his life for us, and he did that to free us. Listen, freedom does not come by defying God. Defying God only leads to slavery. True freedom only comes through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only one who can truly free us. He frees us from darkness to light. He came to set us free. Free from a death sentence, right? Wages of sin is death. He came to free us from that. And free us to being forgiven and loved forever to eternal life. Christ has come to set us free, free to belong to him forever. And when the Son sets you free, you're free indeed. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we love you and praise you. Thank you for this Old Testament account. In the book of Exodus, thank you for the picture of bringing your people out of slavery, out of the kingdom of darkness, out of bondage, and into your kingdom under your authority. A kingdom of love and light and joy. And God, although we're still in the wilderness, and as I said at the beginning of the sermon, sometimes life is just hard because we're in the wilderness. We're not in the promised land yet. We're not in the resurrection life the new earth, yet. And yet, we're guaranteed that you're taking us there. It's guaranteed. Jesus, you give us that awesome promise that you are the resurrection and the life. You're it. And when we are in you through faith, we're, we're bound to you, in union with you through faith, death can't touch us. Death has no power over us. So thank you, Jesus, for being our Passover lamb, for laying down your life, for your people. Jesus, sometimes I do not understand why you did that, to be honest. I wouldn't have saved me. If I had been you, I wouldn't have saved me. How to let me go on in my rebellion. And yet you love your people. So thank you, Jesus, for going to the cross and laying down your life for us. I pray our lives would just be a fragrant offering to you. And we would want to be obedient and trust you in that because we know that what you tell us to do is what's best for us. So thank you for, being, for loving us. Thank you for being here. Holy Spirit, thank you for being here and pointing us to Jesus. Father, thank you for being our loving dad who cares about his kids. I know you're crazy about us, Lord. I probably we'd know that. We love you. Help us to love you better. Help us to love other people better. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, it's now the time in our service when we get the great joy and privilege of coming to the Lord's table where we remember Jesus' broken body and shed blood as the Passover lamb. He's so good to us. This is not just for members of Walton Community Church. If you put your faith in Jesus, if he's your Savior, you're welcome at this table. We've already confessed our sins earlier in the service. So if you haven't done that, do that now and come to the table. Don't stay away from the table because of your sin. That's why we come to the table. It's because we're sinners. Paul writes about this in 1 Corinthians 11. He said, For I received from the Lord, but I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. His broken body for us. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And he's coming one day. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and then so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we're disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Let's pray again. Lord Jesus, again, thank you for going to the cross for us. Holy Spirit, thank you for being here. We know that this is a means of grace. You use this for us to strengthen us, to strengthen us in our faith. Even if we can't feel it in the moment, you're working, Lord, and we trust that. And we praise you. Help us to always look to Christ. Help us to look to see the beauty of the gospel and the glory of the face of Jesus Christ. Help us to see that even now, Lord. We love you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.